Henry Blackaby is an author that I uh, uh, really enjoyed, especially this one book. He wrote a book in 1976 called Experiencing God, and it just talks about the will of God and living inside the will of God. He, in it, he basically outlines a seven-step or a seven-piece process that goes into experiencing God in your lives. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk to you about a few of them. The first one he says is that uh, uh, God is always at work around you. Does everybody agree with that? God doesn't take any coffee breaks. He's not unaware. Uh, you and I might you know, sleep and, and need some time away, but God is always at work, 24-7, uh, 365 and a quarter days a year. Uh, he is always at work around us. Uh, he goes on, he says a few other things, but then he goes on and he said, God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Uh, this is true. The, the way that God is appropriating his purposes in this world is through his people. I mean, he does it in other ways. He, he doesn't need us, certainly, but he chooses to work through us to see his will realized. Uh, so when you and I surf, we need to be very careful to think, I'm not serving the church, I'm not serving Feed the Bay, I'm not serving the kids I'm serving with. We need to make the connection that I am serving God himself. I am joining him in the work that he is seeking to accomplish in his will, in his purposes, and I'm just the tool in his hand in making these things happen. Now, God's invitation for you and I to go and work with him, Blackaby says, will always, he says always, I think it's true, it will always lead us to some crisis of belief that requires faith and action. For us to truly step out and be a part of what God's will is and to be a part of his work, what it's gonna do, it's gonna rub against the old man in us, it's gonna rub against the standard for the world that we live in, it's gonna cause us to make a, a choice between comfort and who we were without him and, and what the world expects for us uh, and, and, and the choice, the other side, is to choose him and the discomfort that could come from serving and the sacrifice that could be required of us if we serve him. It makes us go, oh, I don't know. But for us to follow him, it's going to take those two things, faith and action. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We know from Romans that faith is counted to us as righteousness. It's the key to us even being connected to God in his work in some way. Jesus told us that if we had just a seed-sized faith, just an itty-bitty dab of faith, we could move mountains. It's powerful. It's precious. It's a priority for the Christian life. You've got to have faith, George Michael. But faith, as James tells us, without actions or without deeds, it's dead. You can't just believe. It's got to show up in how you live. And so we here at Bay Life Church, and hopefully at all the churches that believe in God and teach him uh, in our community, we are trying to teach uh, that God wants to work through us. God is always working around us. He invites us to be in, involved in what he's doing. His will is available to us. We are part and parcel of how he wants to accomplish his purposes on earth. But if we are going to be effective in God's hand, it's gonna require faith. It's gonna require actions. We're gonna to have to choose to follow. Think about the, the, the big moves in my life. They were faith and action moves. Uh, like I was just minding my own business, living as a, a mid-20s youth pastor in central Illinois, and I got a, a, a letter. Remember letters? They have postage on them. Uh, uh, but I got a letter from a church in Dallas, Texas. It's a long story, but uh, 
Uh, this church had heard about me through another church that had known about you know, me. I had a friend working at that church. And this church in Dallas, Texas just wrote me out of the blue and said, hey, we got our youth pastor position. You want to come? I didn't know anybody in Dallas. Never been there. Uh, but we started the process. And by faith, we started <laughs> doing the pros and cons. Who does a pros and cons list? Here's the good things. Here's the bad things, right? Uh, there weren't many pros because we didn't know a whole lot about Dallas. There were a lot of cons. I lived uh, down the road from all of my family members. We had just had our first baby. Free babysitting. Can't take that for granted, right? <laughs> but just even the proximity of, of those that we love and those that we knew us. Uh, uh, Eleanor's family was four hours away and, and reachable. Um, there was lots of cons. But ultimately, story shorter, God led us to load up the truck and move to, not Beverly, but Dallas. And... Uh, there were many days in the first few months of living there, I was like, this was the wrong choice. I didn't like Texas. I didn't like the heat. I didn't understand the people. Everything was different. Everything was new. But we stayed, even in the midst of that crisis of belief, because by faith we had believed that this was where God had for us and what he wanted us to do. We had a blessed nine years there. But nine years later, we heard from a church in this place called Brandon, Florida. Where's that, right? And someone came and stalked my house in Texas. And we started conversations and met the elder board and flew out here and answered questions and stood up here on the stage or sat up here on the stage as an entire congregation grilled us with questions and preached on a Sunday and they all said, we want you to come. And I sat in the office that I have now sat in for 13 years praying with my wife and saying, God, what do you want us to do? And by faith... We came here, and I will tell you, there were times in our being here where we were pretty sure <laughs> that we had heard God wrong, because <laughs> it's just hard. Any, any change, any challenge, it's just hard. It requires, but, but you know what kept us here? We believed fully that this is where God would have us, and God has blessed, hasn't been perfect, but God has blessed in amazing ways. It's just what it takes. Now, Blackaby goes on, and he says this, he says, you must make major adjustments in your life if you're going to join God in what he's doing. Is everybody picking up from my stories that that's true? But here's the payoff. He says this. He says, um, you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. This, this was probably the most formative thing when I read this book. Because I used to think that you get to know God by going to seminary or attending lots of church services or reading the Bible, which is, listen, these are all great things. If you get to do them, please do them. Glad you're here doing one of them. It's awesome. But you know how you really get to know God? You step out in faith and you act with him in the things that he's called you to and you go through stuff, even hard stuff, especially hard stuff, trusting him and that's when you really get to know him. I mean, think about you know, uh, the, the times in your life when you've grown closer to people. Maybe it was in good times. Maybe you just had a, a blast on a vacation with them or something like that. But I bet you you really got to know the people that you know when you guys walked through the hard stuff. When you guys had to lean into each other for the things that only the two of you or the bunch of you could understand. You know, you think that people, like, you know, watch the movies, people who get kidnapped or people who get, you know, uh, into, into a pickle situation, the cave, you know, collapses or whatever. They are forever bonded. You know, when Sully landed the plane on the Hudson. You know those people who are in that plane? Remember that? Remember when the plane landed on the husband? They get together every year. They were just strangers on a plane before that day. 
But they get together every year and they have this one shared experience that probably nobody else on the earth can share and they get to talk about it and it's because they went through that that they're together. It's the same thing with us and God. Sure, we can grow through knowledge and sure, we can go through seminary and, but we really grow. We really connect to God as we experience him in our faith as we follow him. So today we're gonna talk about faith. I'm gonna try to talk about it quick. We're gonna talk about a story in Joshua chapter three. If you have a a Bible, you can turn there to Joshua chapter three, and and we're gonna look at faith as it unfolds in the children of Israel. Uh, The children of Israel uh, are gonna learn a very important principle in this story, that faith is what allows them and, and us ultimately to enter into any promised land that God has for us. Here's what we believe, that God holds a future. He holds our future. Does everybody believe that? God goes ahead of us from the present into the future. We, we can remember our past and we've got our present, but God alone knows the future. And he has a preferred future for all of us, a future where he wants to use us and, and, and he wants to work through us. And those, those preferred futures, uh, there, there's gonna be challenges that stand in the way of us uh, becoming all that God wants us to be. We're gonna have to choose faith and act in faith to meet him in those things. So whatever our promised lands are, faith is what allows us to enter them. If you think about it, faith is what allows us to enter anything with God. In fact, your salvation, if you're sitting here this morning and you know that you know that you know that Jesus has saved you from your sins, you put your faith in what he accomplished on the cross, that paid for your sins, you put your faith in his resurrection, and that is your faith, your uh, assurance that you'll resurrect from the dead just like he did. If you've done that, you've done it by faith, it tells us in Ephesians, and not by your works. You haven't earned it, you haven't gotten good enough so that you deserve it, never will. It's by faith that we received the ultimate promised land, which is reconciliation with the holy God and forgiveness of our sins, right? Right? Okay, good, we agree on that. And so it is by faith that everything else is accomplished in God's purposes for us. Little backdrop on the story, Joshua opens and this guy who had been leading Israel uh, for about 40 years, a guy named Moses, heard of him? Uh, he dies. And so Joshua is handed uh, the, the reins. Uh, God says, Josh, you're my man, and you're going to lead my people into this promised land finally that they've been wandering around for 40 years. We're going in. And so the first move that Joshua makes is he sends some spies into a city called Jericho. It's probably going to be the first conquest city. And these spies meet a, a, a harlot, a prostitute who lives in the walls of that city named Rahab. And they, they make good, they make friends. The spies see it as a sign that God is for them and with them and that he is affirming this plan. And so they come back and report to Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 3, Joshua basically sends the officers of, of the uh, Israeli army out to the, to the people of Israel. And he says, we're moving. They've been camped about six miles uh, to, the, to the west of the Jordan River, and he says, everybody up, all you know, million, two million of you, everybody up, we're moving to the Jordan River, and we're gonna cross over. The implication is, is we're gonna cross over into the Promised Land. Only one thing stands between them and the Promised Land, the river, which, by the way, is normally just kind of a trickle. It's not really that impressive of a river at all. It's in a desert, and during the dry times, the dry seasons, uh, there's hardly any water in it. You can cross it easily. But they're going in the month of Nisan, which is our month of April, which happens to be the month where all the snow caps up in the mountains of Lebanon to the north melt, and they drain into the Jordan River and the uh, Sea of Galilee, and, and, and it just, it, it's flood stage. It's the Jordan River uh, that you can do, you know, uh, five rapids on, right? If you were floating down on a raft. 
It's, it's major. It's not passable. It's the wrong, listen, it's the wrong time. Has God ever called you to do something at the wrong time? I get asked that about go forward. Is this the right time? I don't know. It's the time God told us to do it. And to me, that's what makes it the right time. Are you with me? But that's when God says, hey, we're going to cross the Jordan. And so Joshua gets him up. And he's going to invite the children of Israel to dance with him. Some people think the life that we have with God is a march. Somber, straight line, everything perfect. It's not. It's a dance. It's this follow me, step with me, faith adventure that is a dance. I was a class dancer in high school, proud of it. No one else danced in my high school. It was kind of like default. I got it. But uh, here's what I know about dancing, especially the ballroom type. You've got to follow the leader. Eleanor's always tried to get me to take ballroom dancing. I have avoided it up till now. <laughs> but eventually, I'm going to have to give in, and I'm going to go to that class with her, and I'm sure they're going to tell me that I need to be the leader, and I'm going to have to show her. I'm going to have to learn all the steps so that I can show her. And she'll follow me in the dance. It's like when you go to the weddings and they do the chicken dance. Anybody been to the, I don't know the chicken dance, I still don't. If you ask me to do the, I know this part. Yeah, there's, I'm, I'm with you. I got, the, I got the wings part, right? But that's all I know. And then there's claps at the end. Anybody know the claps? But this is me in the chicken dance. I'm just looking at who? Hopefully someone who knows what they're doing. Because I just want to follow. That's what dancing is. It's, it's, a, it's a rhythmic following. And so... God asks Israel to follow him, to do the dance of faith. So I want you to learn the dance of faith, and we're just going to learn it real quick. It's going to go real fast. But everybody ready, ready to move? I'm going to teach you the dance, okay? There's four, a few steps in the faith dance. The first one is this. And everybody, on the count of uh, three, you're going to stand up. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? One, two, three. You step up in obedience. That's the first step. You step up in obedience. Okay, I know you're in rows, so this is going to be a little bit harder, but get as close as you can to the front of the row. And now, are you ready? One, two, three, we're going to step back. We're going to step back in reverence. So you step up, you step back. Now, we're going to go my left, your right. Wait for me. Ready? On the count. One, two, three. We step aside in humility. And now make sure you're up there against the, uh, or, or up, up against the back of your chair, you're sitting on your chair. Ready? One more step. We're going to step, step forward, step out in faith. So just so we're clear, it's step up, step back, step aside, step out. Step up, step back, step aside, step out. All right, thank you very much. Have a seat. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a great dance. <laughs> Worthy. Stepping up in obedience. Let's read what Joshua Chapter 3, verse 2 tells us, at the end of the three days, uh, we're going to basically go, go back and forth in time here over a three-day period. And at the end of these three days, they've, they've been told to move. They've been camped at the River Jordan at, for about three days now. And at the end of the three days, the officers go through the camp, <clears throat> and they command the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant, what's that? Anybody see Indiana Jones? It's the, it's the box, right? It's a... It's a Four by two by two box, just gilded with gold. It's got some angels on its corners. And inside are the staff of Moses, a jar of manna, um, uh, the, the Old Testament, or excuse me, the Old Testament, 
the Ten Commandments on the tablets, not the whole Old Testament. Uh, they are the emblems of the Jewish faith. This is the personification, the, the presence of God himself on earth. And so uh, the box is important to Israel, and, and, and the, the officers of the army say, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant, the box, uh, being carried by the Levitical priests, it's redundant, all priests are Levites, maybe it's the, the muckety-mucks, the higher-up priests, uh, then you shall set out from your place, and you shall follow it. Seems pretty simple, right? I mean, when you see the box move, you get up, and you step out in obedience. You, you, you move. You, you step out and go. It would be something that most of us would be like, yeah, of course you do that. Except this is the Israelites. The Israelites have a, a kind of a poor record in obedience. Uh, they went through all the miracles of the seven plagues in Egypt. They, they crossed the Red Sea. They had all the evidence that they needed that God was for them, that he was going to take them to the promised land. But their, their disbelief, their disgruntledness, uh, their, their refusal to follow kept them in the woods for 40 years, again and again and again. They met God's call of, of let's go with, I don't think so. I got a better plan. The situation's not right. And so an entire generation of Israelites misses out on God's preferred plan for their future because they just wouldn't obey. Faith is marked by obedience. You gotta wonder, have you and I missed out on God's best in our lives at times because we refused to step up and obey when he called us to move? I know that that's the case for me. You ever have that check in your spirit at the end of a day when you realize as you're kind of running through the film, right? Here's what happened today. Oh, I missed that opportunity. Uh, not, and we shouldn't live in guilt. God doesn't give us guilt, but he does give us conviction. And he wants us to learn from those misses. And I'm grateful that, you know, over time as a pastor, I'm not perfect yet. I won't ever be. But, uh, but I'm, I'm learning from my misses, to just trust God and go out and step out in faith. Like, I got here in 2004, 2005, and I knew right away that our debt was an issue. It was a problem. And for eight years, I prayed about it, I talked to our board about it, I talked to our staff about it, we came up with different ways that we could somehow circumvent it and figure out how to you know, do this and do that, and maybe this will pay it off and all these things. And then finally, God just kind of shook me by the shoulders and he said, Mark, are we gonna do this or not? And I had, to, I had to look myself in the mirror and look, look in the face of God and realize that the reason that we hadn't risen up yet is because I just didn't believe that we could. I just didn't trust that uh, our church could accomplish those things for whatever reasons. Fear, I didn't want to fail. Who likes failing? Who, who loves failing? So it's just easier not to start something than to start something and fail. But finally, I just like bug it. And, and the elders were just like, bug it, we're doing this. And then you guys responded, and God worked through us, not just to retire $3.5 million of debt, but he grew us in so many amazing ways because finally the leaders that you trust said, let's go. And you did, to the glory of God and by his grace and leading. Faith starts with obedience. Faith continues as we step behind in reverence. We need to step behind in reverence. Look what it says here. 
Uh, there's a qualification of their following the ark. He says, yet there shall be a distance between you. The officer is saying this to Israel. There's going to be a distance between you and the ark. It's going to be about 2,000 cubits in length. Everybody hold up their hand like this. This is a cubit right here, fingertips to elbow, okay? So roughly a yard. If you add two of these together, it's about 36 inches. Um, so about 1,000 yards is how far Israel was to stay away from the ark as they followed it. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way that you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. They've never been to the promised land. How are they going to know to get there? They can't pop it into their phones. They have to follow. And the ark's going to go out in front. Why so far? Well, here's something you've got to understand about God. God's holy. Uh, God deserves our reverence. In fact, faith is a lot easier if you understand that God is God and you are not. I think faith is really hard when we think we're somehow on par with him or he has somehow failed in his planning. That's when we go off on our own. But if you remember that God is God and that you are not, faith gets a whole lot easier. The distance is a reminder to Israel. Reverence, respect, awe. God knows where he's going. You don't. You stay behind. You follow him because he'll show you the way that you're supposed to go. I lead uh, on Wednesday nights, most Wednesday nights, uh, the third grade boys that are our wanna group. And uh, I just ask a few things of them. When I'm talking, don't, right? Uh, let's do what we're required to do at any of the times that we're doing it. And then when we're walking places, what you have to do, you gotta go to games, you gotta go get water, you gotta do all these things. Just stay behind me. Just stay behind, I don't know if, I don't know if that's just me, but I just don't like, like, like if, if we're in a line, not a blob, a line, stay behind me. You don't know where I'm going. I might peel off and head to, head to Publix. I don't know what's going to happen. You're going to stay behind me to know what's going to happen. But who knows the third grader that's really great at staying behind? <laughs> they just, and they're bouncing off the walls, and I get it. They've just played games for a half an hour, and Ryan's made them crazy, and, you know, it's just nuts out there. And, um, but, I, but I'm constantly saying, hey, guys, stay behind me. And I think God, God looks down at us in our lives, whatever our lives are facing. And he's got this hope for us, this promised land that he wants us to go through. But he's, he's just saying, listen, remember who I am and stay behind me. Let me lead. I know the way. You should follow. He tells us also in this text that we need in faith to step aside in humility. It goes on in verse 5 and it says, Then Joshua said to the people, uh, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It's an interesting phrase there. It doesn't happen all the time in, in the Old Testament. These wonders are what we would call miracles. And, and Joshua's calling a shot. There's going to be a miracle tomorrow. We're, we're going to follow the ark. We're going to stay back and on reverence. We're going to let God lead. But we're going to follow the ark. You're going to step it up in obedience, and we're going to follow the ark. And then as we consecrate ourselves, God's going to do amazing things. Consecration. Two principal parts to consecration is preparation and then separation. When you think consecration, think preparation and separation. Uh, when, when the Israelites were commanded before they went into the temple uh, later on in, in those years of their history, they, they had all these ceremonial washings. They had all these um, you know, sacrifice preparations. They had all these things that they had to do, and all of them were meant not just for busy work, but all of them were meant to remind them of who God was and who they were to show them the, 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 the horrid nature of their sin, to, to prepare them 
to center in and to focus on God in the process that the temple required them. And so consecration, even here before they enter the promised land, is is what's required of them. In in Exodus uh, chapter 19, we probably have uh, kind of a summary of the consecration. They would have uh, washed, okay, which was not a given uh, in those days, but they would have washed. They would have put on clean clothes or ceremonial clothes. This was was like going to church. We're going to go see some wonders. Uh, They would have abstained from physical uh, marital activity. All of these things, all of these mini fasts, all of these actions as signs of them saying, not me, God, but you. We see consecration in the first few lines of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, what's the next line? Hallowed be thy name. You're holy. You're above me. I recognize that you are God. What's the line after that? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's consecration. Every time you pray that prayer, that first part is you consecrating yourself and saying, God, you're God, I'm not. I want your will, I want your kingdom, not mine. Faith requires that. By definition, definition, faith in God is trusting in him wholly and leaving yourself behind. That's why we have all these activities in our journals, all these things. We're not trying to make you busy when it comes to go forward. It may seem like that. Oh, I got this other thing. No, we're just trying to offer opportunities for us to break away from our norm, to center ourselves on the God who is calling us to next things, to hear from him, to prepare for what he has next. So the first step is our obedience. We step out and step up, I'm sorry, to obedience. We step behind in reverence. We stay behind uh, God as our lead. We step aside in humility. We understand that this Christ life is meant in, uh, or is, is designed to be lived in, in entire, uh, our entire existence is meant to be submitted to the Christ in us and Christ needs to flow out of us and through us to the world around us. And the last part then is just to step out in faith. Step out in faith. So, the Lord says to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. They're there at the river, and God comes to Joshua and he says, Josh, we're here, man, this is it, this is the biggie. You got that big old fat river standing between you and the promised land, but something's gonna happen. When it happens, it's gonna verify my hand in your life. It's gonna verify that you're the leader, the rightful leader of Israel. They'll follow you for the rest of the conquest of the land because of what's gonna happen today. Joshua's feeling pretty good. And as for you, uh, yeah, go to the next verse, please. As for you, uh, command the priests, God says to Joshua, who bear the Ark of the Covenant. Here's what you're gonna do, priests. As you're carrying the box, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. All I want you to do is take that box, walk out into the Jordan, and just stand on the riverside. In the water, but stand there and just wait. So the priests have their instructions. Then Joshua says to the people of Israel, all right, come here, gather around, gather around. Listen to the words of the Lord your God. He's going to be his oracle, his prophet, his mouthpiece. He says, uh, uh, Joshua said, I, here is how you, next verse please, 
Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, the Girgashites, my favorite, uh, the Ammonites, excuse me, Amorites, and the Jebusites. Those are seven nations. There was more nations there in Canaan, but this is a seven-nation army. It's not what the white stripes were singing about. I looked it up. But the seven-nation army is basically a summary of all the nations that are there, uh, seven being the whole number of wholeness. So he's saying, listen, all the armies that come against you, uh, you're going to be able to drive them out uh, because I am with you. He says uh, in verse 11, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you to the Jordan. It's almost like Joshua is saying this as the priests are walking with the ark. All of, all of Israel is standing on the shores and the priest, he's like, look, behold, check it out. There goes the box. We followed it up to the riverside, but he, they're going into the river. He says, now therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe. These guys are gonna be instrumental. On the other side, they're gonna build a monument out of 12 stones that were from the riverbed. You can read that in chapter four. And then he says this, he says, verse 13, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand up in one big heap. Don't you want the film, right? The River Jordan, instead of going this way, goes this way. Spikes straight up in the air in a big pile of water somewhere downriver. So that the ark first, God in the lead, and then the children of God next can walk across, not one by one. I mean, picture a million, two million people crossing a riverbed at once. I mean, they're probably spread out for at least a couple miles, 10, 15 people deep. They're going to walk across half an hour for everybody to walk across a river that at flood stage would have taken them going across one at a time in boats, days to accomplish. They're going to walk across on dry ground. How is this going to happen? Some priests were going to carry a box into the river. By faith, they were going to step out, and God says, as soon as they do, behold, watch, as soon as they hit the water, Joshua, reporting for God, says, the river's going to stop flowing. For all of us, that crisis of belief, if we choose faith, is always going to end in action. And we're just going to have to take that step. Uh, Eleanor uh, did bungee jumping when she was a, a younger woman. Uh, she, I didn't go. I'm too chicken. I'm not, jump, really, this? Gonna, I'm going to trust a elastic band with this? No, sir. But she stood on this perfectly good platform, you know, 100 feet in the air, and she fell off of it, believing that a, a rubber band would save her life. She didn't tell me she was going to do it, by the way. We were uh, with a youth group at a theme park, and I was with another group, and and one of the kids says, hey, isn't that Eleanor? And I looked up, and there's my wife at the top of this bungee jumping thing. <laughs> we didn't have the discussion. And so I watched her as she went, you know, Bonza! I don't know what she said, but she just, bleh. And that's the last part of faith, right? Took a little faith to climb the tower. Took a little faith to get all harnessed up. Took a little faith to stand over the edge. But the last part of faith is that. 
trusting that God will get you through. Faith is the key to entering the promised land. Faith is the key to moving forward in your life when the hard things come. I'm walking through uh, a a devastating time in a friend's life. His marriage, uh, uh, in great part, he would tell you because of some of the choices he made, Uh, but uh, his marriage is is going through just a real struggle. He's separated from his wife. Um, It's hard, and we're praying for restitution, for he and his wife to both seek God and honor him and the covenant that they've made. And uh, We've talked tons over the last two or three weeks as this has all unfolded. I texted him last night because he was, God put him on my heart before I preached and I said, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And this is what he wrote me. I asked him if I could share this with you. He said he could. Uh, he said, I still feel broken, but God is in control. I continue to pray for his will to win out. He's been incredible over the past week and continually teaching me about grace. It sounds trivial to word it that way, but he continues to work on me and God continues to confirm his will is for us not to divorce. I'm praying many hours each day and night for God to find a way for us to see our lives be uh, what we're they're supposed to be when we keep God at the center of our marriage. I know there's so many praying for us. It's so humbly, humbling. And he says, I just want to thank you for reaching out to me. That was his text. And I got up and I preached a message on faith, having just seen someone hold on to it for his marriage. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what River Jordan stands between you and what's next in your life. But here's what I know about my God. He's the river crosser. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything that we could ask or think. And when we act in faith, this is the last thing, God steps in. When we act in faith, God steps in. I'll summarize the last verses for you for the sake of time. Uh, the priests step into the water, and it happens just like Joshua says it would. All the way back at a city called Adam, 17 miles or so up the river, uh, the water stops. And again, it's in a huge heap. I'm just picturing it going straight up as it continues to flow. Uh, it tells us in verse 17 of chapter 3, if you can throw that up there, it says, the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on what kind of ground? Dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel passed over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over through the Jordan. What does this sound like in the history of Israel? Have I got a parallel with that one? That Red Sea, right? The, the, <laughs> the 40 years of wandering around starts with a water crossing and ends with a water crossing. Don't miss the significance of that. And they walk across on dry ground. There's two miracles here. A river shoots straight up in the air, and then the ground, which has everybody been like in a, in a, a river bed that's kind of you know, dried up over time? What, what do you got there usually? Four or five feet of muck, right? I mean, it's not passable. Great, the water's not flowing. We can't get across this thing without sinking up to our you know, thighs and ugh. So God just, I don't know, Brings, a, brings concrete to the River Jordan. And people just walk across on this dry, stable ground. Two miracles for the price of one. How good is our God? Uh, how great is our God? Think about this. Uh, how great is our God in preparing us for the next rivers that we're gonna have to cross by letting us cross the first one? Does anybody think that maybe, like in three chapters, they're gonna go to this city called Jericho? Big, huge walls. Uh, There's no way to penetrate them. And God's plan 
is for the armies of Israel to what? Hike. Take a walk. Not once, twice, three times, seven times. Don't you think on the fifth time around the walls, people were starting to say, really? Really, Josh? This is it, huh? But I picture maybe one of the younger soldiers who's not, you know, hard enough and you know, maybe he's got extra muscles so he's not feeling the pain of five, you know, circles around a city. And maybe, just maybe God has his heart in a different way than some of the grumblers. Do you think maybe he's the one who says, fellas, he got us across the river. Maybe that became the rallying cry at Jericho. Remember the river! And they kept walking. Because if God could stop a river, God can knock down some walls. And isn't that how it works in our lives? That God calls us to faith, not just for that one situation, but for the next things that will require faith and the next things after that that will require faith. Go forward is one of our next things. And here's what I believe. We went through Rise Up so that we could go forward. Uh, this church started 24 years ago as an idea in the hearts of a pastor and a bunch of those who were willing to follow him. And as they gathered in homes in those first months and then sat in their first site up in Mango in the middle of nowhere, and God grew that church until he finally had this first building to our other side here, and then they built this. I mean, in every step of the way, by faith, they acted and they moved. And every time they saw God move in the previous faith-requiring exercise, they were more excited for the faith that was required in the next one. And just so you know, that's how this is. It's never supposed to stop. Some of us are getting older. It's never supposed to stop. God wants to pull us and take us to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing so that he and his will can be done through us, his work can be accomplished through us, and we in faith again and again and again step out and follow him in the things that he has next. That's just how it's supposed to work. And so as your pastor, my pledge, as God allows and as Christ infuses me with his strength and wisdom, is that I will always push us to the next things, and in faith we will follow him to whatever God has for us next. Can I pray for us? Lord, thanks uh, for this story of faith and for the many stories of faith in the scriptures. We know that uh, to be in the promised land, it requires us to trust you and to follow you, to obey you, um, to set ourselves aside uh, and then to step out in that final act of faith. And so um, thanks for this opportunity with Go Forward to do that as, as we consider uh, the things that uh, you have for us in this. Just lead us to your best. Uh, help us all to realize how we could be a part of your vision to make a difference in our community through the Women's Resource Center, to make a difference in our future through the Student Center, and to, to make a difference in our region by uh, revitalizing churches that need help. God, lead us, uh, I pray, in all of those things and help us to live by faith in Jesus' name, amen. A couple things before we go feed the bay. In your seats today, there was this giving guide. I, I put these in your hands uh, this week. We'll talk about it a little bit more next week, but I wanted you to be able to take it home and kind of read through this. Lots of information in there, but this is kind of where we're heading and go forward as we seek to raise the resources necessary for the things that God is calling us to. Uh, there's a giving card in there that you can even start praying uh, in your home and in your, with your family as to what God would have you do, so that's, that's in your hands. But you were handed this on the way in. Can everybody wave this in the air like you just don't care? It's the Feed the Bay 
Yeah, there it is. Uh, how many of you, who's been a part of Feed the Bay in the past? Yeah, it is time again. We're taking church to the grocery store. The first time we did and they didn't believe we'd come. It was a lot of fun the first time. Still is. Uh, if you've never been a part of Feed the Bay, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna go to all these participating uh, uh, grocery stores, Publix locations are listed there on the brochure, uh, and, and you could go to any one of those, and there will be a truck at those stores. There will be all kinds of uh, end caps and buy one, get ones set up for this very list that you see listed there. Please get the things on the list. These are the things that the, uh, you know, I know you might like, uh, you know, lamb hearts for dinner or something like that, but uh, we, don't, we don't need, that's weird. Why did I say that? That's gross. <laughs> but we don't need any of that stuff. We just need what's on the list. And here's what I would, here's what I would say is, as you go. I, here's what I would pray for, 100% participation, and even if you're kind of mad that you have to go do it, just go buy one box of spaghetti and throw it at the truck. I don't even care if that's how you do it. I hope you won't. But if everybody does some, it turns into a lot. And if everybody does what God calls them to do, it becomes this miracle year after year of us providing for these agencies who are overwhelmed by the generosity of this church and the other churches involved. And it makes God look good, and it does good in our world. That's why we do it. So I don't care how much you get, doesn't matter. It just matters that you're a part of this. Together, we can do more. Are you with me? I'm supposed to show a video, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> I think we've got enough. Is everybody good? Let's stand up, I'll pray for us, we'll be dismissed. Hey God, here's my open-eyed prayer. Thank you for these people. Thank you for their faith in being here and following you in their lives. Thank you for the things that you have ahead of us. Even today, as we go feed the bay, God, use us for your work, for your glory. Pour yourself out on our community as we feed them and these food banks are provided for. Just use us, God, so that you are lifted up in the hearts of men. Then as we go forward into the things that you have for us in our very near future with, with uh, this campaign, provide all that you want so that we can do all that you want. We'll just trust you for it. We're not gonna go into debt. We're just gonna wait for you to provide. We'll follow you in it. God, I just love this church. Thank you for them. A blessing over them. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.